Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13 will be starting in verse 51 and we'll finish out the rest of the chapter. In, uh, from 2009 until 2012, my family lived in West Plains, Missouri. I was teaching at a, um, a classical Christian school there. I had a, a small class of about 10 or 11, depending on which year it was, of students. And most of them were all girls. And this was a Christian school, so we had uh, you know, kids who were familiar with church. They'd gone to church all their lives. I even had uh, at least one pastor's daughter in my class. So I was surprised. I was shocked one day when I was teaching and I was trying to make some kind of an illustration about something. I don't even remember what it was. And I mentioned Billy Graham. And someone's hand went up. And they said, who's Billy Graham? Let me ask you, or or give you an assignment. When you're with your grandkids or with your kids, ask them if they know who Billy Graham is. And probably they won't know. Probably they won't know. Billy Graham, uh, you know, he's not really doing his... uh, um, Crusades anymore, but uh, in uh, it was about 2001. It would have been 2001. I was able to help, help participate in one of the Billy Graham Crusades. Um, he came to Louisville, Kentucky. Whenever uh, I was a student there, working on my Master of Divinity at Southern Seminary, they came to Papa John's Stadium, and he he preached one of his last crusades before uh, he ended that. And uh, I don't remember a whole lot about what was said. I, I, uh, I, was a, I did get the training and did the counseling during the week. But I remember one illustration that he used, and I'm going to share that this morning. He talked about the gospel, he talked about church, and he talked about how some people, they get just enough of the gospel, just enough of the Bible that it, it doesn't change their life, but it's, it's like an inoculation. You know what an inoculation is. You know what a vaccination is. You, you get a little bit of the disease, a little bit of the virus, and it, it's, it's, it's weak and it's almost dead. And you put that in a syringe and you give it to some small child so that he has a little bit of it and he builds up a resistance and he doesn't get the disease. Well, that's what we have done to many of the children and many of the young people in our day today. They've had just enough Jesus. They've had just enough of the Bible to be an inoculation. They think they know what Christianity is all about. They think they know about what Jesus is, but really all they've had is enough of Jesus that they don't want any more. I think something in our scripture text this morning relates to this idea. Here, 
Jesus tells the last of a series of parables in verses 51 through 52. He tells a very short parable about how disciples, I think that's what he's talking about, how people who are believers, who have become disciples, are like this man who brings out of his storehouse things that are new and old. And there's some kind of comparison between a disciple, what a disciple is supposed to be, and this man, this owner of a household who brings this treasure out. And then we read of how Jesus, he, he finished re- preaching these parables, and he leaves that place, and he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And when he goes there, he's preaching in their synagogues, And the people, they wonder at what Jesus is saying. And they're thinking, where did he get all these things? Isn't this just Mary's son? Isn't this just the brother of Joseph and, or brother of James and Joseph? And isn't he just the carpenter? Where did he get these things? You see, they, they had seen Jesus. They, they, they were familiar with who Jesus was. But they rejected who Jesus really was. Let's read our scripture this morning. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 51. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogues. And they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would give us ears to hear, and give us eyes to see, and give us a heart to understand your word. Father, I pray that you would be with me a wretch saved by amazing grace. I don't deserve you. Lord, I pray that by your grace you would enable me to speak your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We sang that song this morning, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Once blind. But now I see. Does it amaze us anymore? 
Does it amaze us anymore? Or have we become so familiar with it? Is it just one of those songs? You hear the song everywhere. You, if there's a, some kind of a major tragedy in our society. You know, there was a shooting. And there was, it was, was about a year ago. It was a shooting in, in uh, Charleston. And there was the funeral service that President Obama spoke at. And even he was leading and singing Amazing Grace. It's become just kind of a cultural artifact to sing Amazing Grace. This song about the most amazing thing in the world. This grace that we can have through Jesus Christ. And it's become just something that's just commonplace. Just normal part of our culture. And, and we don't really get amazed by it anymore. The old saying says, familiarity breeds contempt, right? That's what we have here with Jesus and His hometown. They all knew Him. They saw Him grow up. Maybe they were even neighbors and he, they watched Jesus whenever, he was, whenever Mary had to go do something else and, and changed His diapers or something like that. Can you imagine Jesus having diapers to be changed? Well, He did. He grew, grew up through every experience that human beings have from infancy all the way up to adulthood. They were familiar with Jesus. They had seen Him and then they saw him teaching in the synagogues and they thought, that's strange. That's, what is he doing that for? He's not a rabbi. He's just a carpenter. What is he doing that for? I'm going to back up. First, I want to address the, uh, the parable that he gives here. I'm trying to accomplish two things today, so bear with me. When Jesus tells this parable, he talks about a scribe who has been trained for the kingdom. What is this scribe that's been trained for the kingdom? The word trained there is the same word from which we get our word disciple. A, a scribe that's been discipled, who's become a disciple. So I believe here he's talking about discipleship. Anybody who has become a disciple. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you are a Christian, you're a disciple. And, and this is talking about you and your responsibilities as a believer. Every scribe. He's not talking about scribes in the sense that, that scribes are guilty because they, they heard his message and they rejected it. No, this is talking about someone who is supposed to know the scripture and supposed to teach the scripture. And Jesus is here calling disciples someone that's like a scribe. We're supposed to study our Bible and get to know it and then teach it. That's what Jesus describes a disciple like. And he says, every disciple, every scribe who has been instructed in the kingdom brings out of his house. He's like this owner of a household who brings out of his treasure house things new and old. Now Jesus talks about treasure in other places in Matthew, doesn't he? And so often we hear whenever Jesus is talking about treasure, he says... That our treasure is where our heart is. He's, he's not comparing this master of a house bringing out 
He's not talking about him bringing up physical treasures, things like gold and silver and jewels and all those kinds of things. The treasure that the master of the house brings out is what comes out of his heart. So a disciple, someone who's teaching, someone who learns from Jesus, who studies the Scripture and who, who, who teaches it, is bringing things out of their heart. Things that you've learned over the years as you have studied the Scripture. You're bringing these things out of your heart, things that are old and new. Or things that are new and old, actually, the order goes. Things that are new and old. Our English Bibles might lead us a little bit of a, a little bit astray here. I don't know what translation you're all using. Mine says what is new and what is old. And some might say some new things and some old things. But really, it's just new and old. New and old. Those two adjectives. Bringing out of these treasure what is new and old. I, I think we could be mistaken if we're saying bringing out some new things and some old things and mixing those together and giving them out from our heart. I think what he's getting to and the fact that it doesn't say new things and old things, it just says new and old, is that when we teach the Scripture as disciples, if we have become disciples of Jesus and we're teaching the Scriptures out of our hearts... It's new and old. It'll be new to some people. But it really draws upon the oldest things that that are there. We're not coming up with anything that's new and innovative. It's the same message that's been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. 2,000 years, the New Testament, but even more than that for the Old Testament. Our world today, this is the connection I'm going to make um, with uh, what comes after it. Our world today, we live in an era of biblical illiteracy. People don't know their Bibles today. And I'm not saying that in a blaming sense. It's not their fault. If anything, it's our fault if the people that have been under our instruction don't know the Bible. I don't, I'm not saying this pointing a finger at other people that are lost, that don't know the Scripture. But biblical illiteracy is rampant in our society today. If we are going to teach the Scriptures, if we are going to make disciples, which is our mission, to make disciples, we're going to be reaching back and teaching the whole Bible. We need to be able to explain the whole biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation, the whole picture. Because biblical illiteracy is so rampant in our society today, because people just don't know the Bible, when we come to someone and we tell them about God, they might have a completely different picture than what the Bible is talking about. And we tell them about how if we just jump down right in the middle of the story and say, Jesus died for your sins, they might think, well, that's nice, I I hear you, but what does that have to do with anything? 
Because they don't know the big picture. They don't know the whole story of the Bible. They don't know about Genesis 1 and how we were created for a paradise that everything would be good. They don't know about Genesis 3, about the fall that came and how we were all sinful because we were born into sin because of our, the sins of our first parents, Adam and Eve. We don't, they don't know about the prophecies about leading to Jesus through all of the Old Testament and the promises that God made to Abraham and the promises that God made to David. They don't know. And so we t- come to them with this little bitty truncated gospel that only tells them about what is the bare minimum essentials from the New Testament and they, they don't understand what to do with it. They don't know what to do with it. So a disciple that has been trained in the kingdom brings out what is new and old. We need to give them the whole gospel to the whole person. Now we see Jesus. He's going to these people in his hometown and they reject him. Because he's just familiar. He's familiar. They've seen him grow up. They've seen him go through all the stages of, of life. And they think, what is he doing? He's not been trained as a scribe. What does he think he's doing in the synagogue? And all these miracles. What People telling about miracles he's doing in all these different places. He says here at the end of the verses we read, he didn't do very many miracles there in Nazareth because they didn't believe him. Are we sometimes like that? If we're believers, we have accepted Jesus. We, we, we've trusted. We know He's the Savior. But have we become like that? Has He become so just familiar to us that we don't expect anything great out of Him? We're just comfortable with everything going just as it always has gone and we don't really want to see any kind of change. These people, they, were, they knew about Jesus. They'd seen Him better than any of us had seen Him. They'd seen Him in the flesh. But they were so familiar with Him that they just rejected Him. How often are we just so familiar with Jesus that He won't do anything with us because of our unbelief? Are we just so familiar? Has Jesus just become a cultural relic to us? Something that was great from the past and we just come here on Sundays to be nostalgic and remember what it was like in the 1950s or the 1940s or the 1850s or even earlier than that. Is that all Jesus is to us? Is it just a cultural thing that we come and we try to be nostalgic and remember the past that's gone by? Is Jesus just something that is familiar to us? Or is is grace amazing to us? There's a 
some who talk about uh, the way that, that movements of revival happen. You have a generation, this first generation that that hears the gospel and they become very excited about it and they love the Bible and they love Jesus and they proclaim the gospel and people are saved and all kinds of wonderful things are happening. And then slowly but surely it becomes comfortable. It becomes the norm. And it becomes assumed. And so you move from that passionate evangelism and spreading the gospel to moving on to other things. And we just assume we know the gospel. We don't need that anymore. Let's move on to other things. Let's have a preacher who comes in and tells us about all the different life tips that we can have a better, happier family. Or how we can manage our money better. Or all these other things. Oh, we still believe the gospel. We wouldn't ever deny that. But it's just assumed. And we don't talk about how the gospel relates to our finances. Or how the gospel relates to our family. And it's just assumed. And so, then you have a generation where the gospel is just assumed. And you talk about all these other topics... Not pointing back to the gospel and how it all relates to the gospel. And then you have another generation come after that. And they hear about all these different life tips. And they've never heard the gospel. And they think, well I can get that from the world. We want to know why people don't have time for church today. We want to know why people would rather spend their time on a Sunday morning out on a boat. It's because they think they know the gospel. They think they've heard the gospel, but they don't have any idea what the gospel is because all we've given them are a bunch of life tips and we've called it the gospel. It's dangerous to assume the gospel. What is the gospel? God is big. He is infinite. He is glorious. He has made the whole world and everything in it. He has made all the stars. He has made the trees. He has made the land. He has made the water. He has made the fish. He has made all things. And He made human beings as in His image to reflect His glory. And He gave us a perfect paradise to live in. And those first two humans, our first parents, disobeyed Him and plunged all of humanity into sin and death. But God had a plan to send His Son. His only Son. The one He loved to come and die our death that we deserve. And it's not by 
cleaning ourselves up and making us good people and having a lot of good life tips so that we can live happy lives. It's not making ourselves into nice, good, self-righteous people. The gospel is what tells us we have not any ability at all to save ourselves. We cannot do anything. We are helpless. We are hopeless except for one thing. We throw ourselves down at the mercy of Jesus Christ. We throw ourselves down and say, I can't do it. With all my striving, with all my trying, all I can do is throw myself down at at your mercy and ask that you count your blood, the blood of Jesus, as a payment for my sin. That's the gospel. And everything that we do, everything that we teach, from family life and the things that we need to say about that, to sexual morality, to uh, finances, all of those things, we need to relate back to the gospel or it will be assumed and in a generation it will be forgotten. And we'll lose our children and our grandchildren. These people here in Nazareth thought they knew Jesus but they didn't know Jesus. We live in an era that some have called a post-Christian culture. By post-Christian, what they mean is, this culture used to be somewhat of a Christian culture. People had a somewhat of a, a biblical worldview in mind. Even if they weren't believers themselves, they looked at the world pretty much the same way that Christians do. And we live in an era that is post that, that is after that. People don't look at the same way of the world the same way we do anymore. There's a flaw in that. That gives people room to say, well, we've tried Jesus. And he really wasn't what we needed, so we've moved on to different things. The reality is, our culture is not post-Christian. If anything, it is pre-Christian. Because the Jesus they've heard about isn't the real Jesus. The Jesus they've heard about is just a Jesus they can add on to make their life a little bit better. And he's not the thing that inspires Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. So the two things that I have for us today. One, from this parable, if we're believers, if we're disciples, we ought to be making disciples of other people. We ought to be pulling from our treasure house, from the store of wealth, of the relationship that we have with Jesus because of our forgiveness we have through His blood. Pulling from our treasure house and imparting that to a new generation. Things new and old. 
We need to make disciples. And the second thing is, I have to ask us, have we just looked at Jesus and thought, He's comfortable. He's familiar. Have we looked at Jesus as just a piece of nostalgia? Or does He amaze us? Does He blow us away? Do we look at Him and think, how in the world could He have saved me? A wretch. I was blind. But now I see. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.